heavenly realities in which we are drawn up into when we gather in this place, Lord. We need you to see the glory of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, our intercessor, our mediator, our advocate, a perfect and spotless sacrifice who paid the price for our sins. Holy Spirit, glorify him. Glorify him in our midst today. Father, I ask for your blessing on this word. Bless your word, Lord, that it would produce much fruit for your kingdom in the lives of your people in my life. We thank you, Father. We thank you for this feast. When we come hungry, Lord, feed us. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Okay, now everybody's awake. Good. When you see uh, this thing right here, this enormous piece of furniture, what, what do you see? Altar. Table. Okay. Wood, if you look under the... Right? <laughs> it, it, it's interesting, and it should fascinate us... In- We just forget, because we're so accustomed to seeing it there, that this altar, and that is what it is, is the center of our worship. And it actually, the uh, if there's an altar, then of course there is, the altar has something to do with sacrifice, right? And so our worship has much to do with sacrifice. And if there's sacrifice, there has to be a priest, right? Now, I'm not talking about me today, although I'm wearing my priestly garments, because we're going to talk about Jesus as our high priest, We often talk about the Lord as our Savior and our healer and our Redeemer, and rightly so. But we don't often, you don't often hear Jesus talked about in his role as high priest. And that's what I want to do today. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5 for a greater understanding of who Jesus is as our high priest. Now, I want to give a little context to priesthood um, in the scriptures. So, Priests were very important in scripture, and really the idea of priesthood goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, because in a sense, Adam and Eve were priests who were meant to steward the temple of creation, and they failed in that job because they fell to the serpent's temptation. Uh, but then, of course, we get to Abraham and the people of Israel, and then we get to uh, Moses, and God institutes a priesthood. Now, the reason that God introduced uh, he, the reason that God institutes the priesthood is because people need someone to represent them to God. Okay, Hebrews 5, chapter 1 says that this morning. So the priesthood has something to do with breaching the gap between humans and God. Sinful humans, holy God. Somebody has to stand in between and do something about that. So the priesthood is God's loving, gracious idea to us so that we can have a way to dwell in his presence. That's the idea of priesthood. But in the Old Testament, you had the tabernacle, which was originally the place where God dwelt with his people in the tent of meeting. This tabernacle, it was 
basically what it was, it was God gave Moses the instructions for what it would look like. It was very distinct. This went there. This went here. This was to be made of this. This was to have this measurement. It was an orderly and beautiful place. And it was meant to be a kind of blueprint of the heavenly realm. That was what it was supposed to symbolize. And so what that the reason for that symbolism in the tabernacle and then later in the Bible in the temple was to show that this is sacred space. And sacred space is all about proximity to God, where God dwells. And so the tabernacle was meant to be this little sort of window or this little gateway where heaven and earth met. So God could dwell among his people on earth. You understand the idea so far? So then God says there has to be caretakers in this temple, in this tabernacle. And there has to be a people who can perform the, the rituals that will help enable me to dwell with my people. And that was the Levitical priesthood. So God instituted priests to be caretakers of the sacred space. Okay. And so their, but their other role, their primary role was to represent God to the people and the people to God. Okay. So there was an, it was an intermediary role to stand in between, but it was blessed and instituted by God. God all through scripture finds ways of reaching humanity who's in rebellion against him and wandering away from him. And the priesthood is one of the first ways in Scripture that God institutes something to bring him people together. God wants to be with us. Isn't that good news? He wants to be with you. He wants to be with you all of the time. Okay, so some of you know that the, the priest, what they did, one of, their, one of the big days of the year was the Day of Atonement. Okay, and so they took a spotless lamb, and then they also had a goat, and they sacrificed the lamb. They went into a place in the tabernacle. Okay, let's just imagine here that there's a big, enormous curtain here, 30 feet high, and they would go through that curtain into the innermost courts of the tabernacle, which was called the Holy of Holies. And they would sprinkle some of the blood on the mercy seat. We could think of it as an altar. It was where the uh, Ark of the Covenant sat. Two golden cherubim or seraphim sitting there, and this was the place where God's glory dwelt. And so they would sprinkle the blood because the blood, there is life in the blood. And then they would take the, uh, they would sprinkle some of the blood on the people, but then they would take the other goat who was still alive, and the priest would put his hands and sprinkle some of the blood on that goat, and they would send him out into the wilderness as a symbol of the people's sins being separated from them as far as the east is from the west. So it was a ritual, it was an atonement ritual. Atonement, at one mint, right? To make the people at one with God again because of all of their sins. But it was a, it was ritual purity. And we know from what the scriptures say that the blood of bulls and goats can never actually take away sin from the human heart. We needed a different kind of sacrifice, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So the, what you, the way that we could think about tabernacles and temples and priests is that it is the gateway between heaven and earth. It's meant to be a gateway between heaven and earth where God's people can encounter his presence. Tracking so far? Okay, good, good. The problem with the earthly priesthood was really a twofold problem. One is that they too were sinful and weak, but the second one is that they're human, so they die and they kept, keep having to getting replaced. And what actually was needed in the spiritual realm to keep humans and God together would be an eternal kind of time-transcending priesthood that could keep people represented as pure before God and in communion with him. But we don't see that yet in the Old Testament. We just see the earthly priesthood, but we see a glimpse of it. 
Now, we hear this weird name in the reading today, Melchizedek. Everybody say that, Melchizedek, okay? means uh, son of righteousness. And I'm going to tell you a quick Bible story, and then I promise we're going to jump into a few verses of Hebrews 5. So Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, he has just left a battle where 300 of his guys defeated like three kings and their armies. And Abraham is walking back home and out from this city called Shalem, say Shalem, Shalem, S-A-L-E-M, comes a very mysterious figure named Melchizedek and he meets Abraham on the way. And it tells us in the Bible that he worships the same God of Abraham says that he was a priest of God Most High, but he was also the king of Salem. What is Salem? It's the future capital of Israel in David's day, Jerusalem. So Abraham meets this mysterious figure. It says very little about him except that he comes out. He tells Abraham, your victory was a blessing from God Most High. The true God gave you the victory over all of those things. He puts a feast of bread and wine before Abraham and his small army, and then he blesses Abraham with God's blessing, and then we don't see him anymore in the Old Testament. It raises all kinds of questions because this is 400 years before the priesthood of Israel is instituted. And yet here is a mysterious priestly figure who is a priest of God Most High who worships the God of Abraham. Okay, So it raises more questions than it answers. But I think what it shows us, this mysterious Melchizedek, he represents a priesthood that transcends time. He represents a priesthood that transcends time. And so he points forward to God's blessing being given to his people, a victorious feast of bread and wine, the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our victor and our Passover lamb. Okay, so that's enough backdrop. I think it will help us make more sense of Hebrews chapter 5.1. So let's dig in uh, to the text there. The point that I want us to see today is that Jesus fulfills this needed role of being a high priest who transcends time, who can for all of eternity represent people as pure and spotless and blameless before God in a union of love. Okay, so Hebrews chapter five, verse one says every high priest is selected from among the people. He's talking about the Old Testament priesthood. But he's also going to make references to Jesus. He says they're selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. So, again, as I said, the biblical priesthood is God's idea. It is God saying, I love my people so much. I have to dwell with them. My heart longs for them, but their sin makes them unfit for my holy presence. And so I have to ordain a representative who can stand in the gap and make there be a way for there to be cleansing and purification. That was why we had a priesthood and sacrifices so that God could dwell with people. Everything is about the love of God for people, his desire to dwell with us, his his desire for us to be with him where he is is okay so the priesthood is god's idea and we talked about how the priest goes through on the day of atonement offers the sacrifice does the 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 atonement ritual to cleanse for sin but we learn from the priesthood it teaches us something about god is that god himself always takes it upon himself to provide the means for our cleansing 
This message is the, the Old Testament. I don't know. Some people think the Old Testament is about how people have to earn God's favor and the new is about how God gives his favor freely. But that's false. The Old Testament is also about God's grace. He just is providing it in a different way and in a less full way than he does in Jesus. But the priesthood was an act of God's grace to be able to bring people to be presented before him so that he could dwell with them. Okay. God, God wants to cleanse you for communion. Cleansing is always unto communion. Okay? It's not that God just doesn't like dirty, sinful people. It's that the actual goal of it is for him to be able to embrace you in his presence. Okay? So this was, God's, uh, this was God's idea. Now, think about this. So I have a three- and a five-year-old, and they like to play outside, and they like to play in the rain, and they get muddy, and they get disgusting, and they get those little uh, green burrs all over them in the yard, those little sticky plants. I hate when people don't mow their yard, and it hangs over the sidewalk, and it gets all over your socks. But they get all of that crud all over them, and now they, my, my children come in, and they're like, Daddy, can we have snuggle time and read a book? And I'm like, man, I want to do that so bad. But I'm clean, and I have clean clothing on, so you, you guys need to go get in the bathtub and get new clothes on. See, there's just a simple idea that, 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 that dirtiness, that impurity has to be cleansed to come into contact with purity. And God has that same kind of fatherly desire to bring us into him. Okay, Spiritual snuggle time, that kind of sounds weird. But God wants deep communion with us, intimacy with us. But the problem is, is that our sin hinders that. That's the problem with humanity's inability to be connected to God. Let's look at verse 2. It says this about the priest. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Now, he's talking about the earthly priesthood, but he's also making reference to Christ here. And we're going to see that because he's going to start explicitly talking about him in a second. So what does he mean? His point is that because of his humanity, a high priest can identify with the weakness of sinful human beings. So he can thus sympathize with them and he can deal gently with them when they're wandering from God. When they're wandering in sin, when they're missing the mark. He has an inner sense, if you will, of what it's like to face temptation and the difficulty of keeping God's commandments all of the time. We could call that compassion. And he can deal gently with those are. And the author is saying, Jesus is like this. Jesus was fully human and he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. That was from Hebrews 4 last week. And so he is able to sympathize with us. Not in the sin, not in the giving in, but in the temptation and all of the human frailty that we're constituted of in our own struggles with sin. And the author is saying, Jesus is like this. He didn't sin, but he knew what it was like to be tempted to fall. And therefore, when he sees us wandering and ignorant of God's ways, he does not scold us harshly or berate us impatiently. He is restrained. He's gentle. He's firm. He's compassionate. He understands what it's like to be a human being and to face the brokenness and the sinfulness of being a human. And so he's gentle with us. So think about all of the places where Jesus, in his humanity, he could have sinned. Okay? He could have become overly intoxicated at the wedding of Cana. 
He, he could have lusted over the prostitute who was washing his feet with her tears. He could have blown up in a rage on Judas Iscariot for betraying him. He could have huffed and puffed with impatience at Peter's every blunder. He could have seized worldly power without going to the cross, giving in to Satan's temptations in the wilderness. But he did not. He did not sin. And so some people might say, well, then that makes it. I don't. How can he connect with us then if he didn't? Well, think about it like this. Only the person who can resist all the way through knows what it's like to actually have victory. And he is able to reach his hand down into the sinking sand where we're sinking and to pull us out because he did not sink into it. But he knew the dangers of it. And the only condition for salvation, the Bible says, is that we must come to him. Nobody else can be your high priest. Nobody else can be your mediator between God. The Bible says there is one mediator and advocate between humans and God. It is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Nobody else lived a perfect, righteous life, and nobody else died a perfect, pure, sacrificial death for your sin. And so the only condition to receive salvation from him is to come to him, and he will deal with you gently. But that is a condition that we come to him to let him save us. I want to read you something. This is actually from the book that I've been giving out copies of uh, when we do our trivia time. And the author says this. He's talking about this very passage. And he says, Whatever our offense, he deals gently with us. If we never come to him, we will experience a judgment so fierce it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth at us. If we do come to him, as fierce as his lion-like judgment would have been against us, so deep will be his lamb-like tenderness for us. And all of humanity is faced with that decision. Is I will say, yeah, Jesus, cool, but I don't really need to be a Christian. I don't need to follow Jesus. Basically, God, I don't need you to provide a priest for me. Or we can humble ourselves and say, I don't have a priest to represent me to God and to make me pure and spotless before him so that I can have a relationship of love with my father. I don't have one and I need one. Jesus, I need you. Going to church and doing a lot of good things for God does not make you right with God. Doing things for God does not make you right with God. Calling yourself by the name Christian does not make you right with God. What makes us right with God? Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born from above. What does that mean? It means a spiritual rebirth that happens when we come to him and we say, I am a sinner and I need to be cleansed in the depths of my being. And Jesus, you're the only way that that can happen because you are my high priest and advocate because you loved me so much. And to confess that before him and then to confess him as Lord and follow him. If you haven't done that, if you haven't recognized the gravity of your sin and come to the only one who can save you, no matter what you call yourself, or how many good things or how good of a person you are, and I'm sure you are, you have not been born again of the Spirit. And the Bible says, and I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just trying to be, a, be very definitive with what the Bible's terms are for salvation. The Bible says that anybody who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so believer, worshiper, pew dwellers, <laughs> be sure that this has happened for you, that you have been born anew of the Spirit, that you have actually humbled yourself 
Because pride will keep us from doing this. It will say, no, there's those weird kind of Christians who are all emotional and they're like, oh, I'm such a sinner. God, forgive me. Well, I go to church and I do good and I'm just kind of a straight shooting objective guy and I'm a Christian. And I'm not saying you have to have a gloriously emotional experience, but I'm saying that you have to humble yourself before God and say, I am a sinner and I have grieved you. And I want to be forgiven. And as we sing, oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. He runs to greet you before you can even get all the way to him. And he throws his arms around you and he wipes your sin clean. And that's because you have a high priest standing before him in the heavenly realms, presenting himself to the Father on your behalf. And you can now come to him with that high priest's righteousness. In a sense, Jesus, he puts his robe on you. And you come before. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Scroll down now to the, towards the end of the passage. It tells us that Jesus, during the days of his life on earth, offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus became the source of our salvation by enduring the agony of the cross. The author is painting a picture of the agony and the suffering and the difficulty and the hardship that Jesus endured and continued to cry out to God in his high priestly role on behalf of the people to enable him to walk through the difficulty of all of that agony for you and for me. And it's saying that God honored him and he was made perfect as the source of eternal salvation because he endured through all of it, crying out to God in his role as mediator and high priest. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't back down? Aren't you glad that he sweat like tears, like drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane when he thought about you and he was getting ready to go to the cross? Are you thankful today for what he's done for you? You see, he didn't look for an easier way. He said, I will bring people to my Father. I will cleanse them that that eternal communion that they were made for will be established eternal salvation john 17 jesus says this is eternal life that they know you the one true god and jesus christ whom you have sent is to know him to have union with him to know his spirit dwells in you and testifies to who you are as an adopted son or daughter In doing what he did, in walking through his role as a high priest to represent us to God, Jesus played not only the role, or fulfilled, I should say, not only the role of priest, but he also fulfilled the role of sacrifice. That's why in our, our hymn, Alleluia, Sing to Jesus, we say, Him who was both priest and victim in the Eucharistic feast. Both priest and and victim for you and for me. And in doing so, he, Jesus, became the place where heaven and earth meet. Priesthood, tabernacle, heaven and earth, 
God's presence, atonement for sin. The whole Old Testament is a shadow of the reality that is coming in Christ. He steps in to the land of Israel and begins to announce his kingdom. And he takes up his cross and he heads, sets his face like flint to Jerusalem, knowing that he has to be the priest for all of humanity and the sacrifice for them as well. Now, this is where I want to end. The sermon title is Jesus, Melchizedek. And you, we've talked about Jesus and we've talked a little bit about Melchizedek. Let's talk about us. You know that when Jesus died on the cross, one of the physical manifestations in the world that happened was that that curtain that I described, that that only the high priest was allowed to enter into, into the Holy of Holies where God's presence and glory dwelt, that what happened to that curtain? It was torn and it fell. What was happening in the spiritual realm is that God was opening up the Holy of Holies to all who would come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. So now there is no earthly priesthood. When Jesus died on the cross, the earthly priesthood was abolished. It's what he was symbolizing when he walked into the temple and began to throw the money changers' tables upside down. He says, this institution is done. It does not serve its purpose. And then he showed what it meant to be the true priest of the people by taking up his cross and walking to Calvary. And so... This is the good news, right? The good news is not only that you're forgiven of your sins, it's now that you have complete, unrestricted access into the Father's presence if Jesus is your high priest. Now, the Bible goes on, and it tells us this. It says this in Revelation chapter 1. It says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and Father. Every believer... This is what Martin Luther famously called the priesthood of all believers. Okay? There's priests who represent the priesthood of people, right, that, like I do. But everyone, because of what Jesus has done, when you put your trust in him, he pulls you up into his heavenly realms, and you now are a representative for people before God. And I want to close on this note and call us as a church to realize who we are as priests before God ministering to him. Because we are in a world that is in desperate need of people who will represent it to God and who will rightly represent God to people. And that is the mission that Jesus has given us to rightly represent God to the people and to present them. We, we live in a world, we, 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 the church of Jesus Christ needs people who recognize their position in that. We need people who, like Jesus, cry out with fervent cries and tears on behalf of a lukewarm church, on behalf of, of preachers and pastors who have so diluted the gospel that it's no longer actually good news for salvation from sin. It's just how you can improve your life here on earth. We need fervent intercessors for those family members and friends who are lost and have wandered from the faith. We need fervent intercessors that the church would once again experience a new Pentecost and be filled with the Spirit of God and carry out her mission in the world to preach the gospel with signs and wonders following. Yeah? Come on. And guess who got ordained to the priesthood to do that? You. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you went through those waters of baptism and you came out of them, that was your ordination to ministry as a priest ministering in the heavenly realms before God, saying, Father, 
Father, use me. I'll do anything I can to bring people to you. Use me. I lay down my life. I lay down my pride. I lay down my fear of man. Father, people need to be saved because the time is coming close. The time is drawing near and people are going to perish for all of eternity without the blood of your son. And the church knows that message in her mind, but practically has fallen asleep. In our ministry, this is the exciting thing, is that we can say, I'm going to take hold of that. And some of us are convicted today. I need to have a ministry of fervent cries and prayers before the throne of heaven. I need, and some of you do. But all of us need to see ourselves in that place of ministers before God, representing his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, and his justice to the world. And then also taking the world before him in our prayer life our loved ones who are lost, our co-workers, our, our fellow believers who sit in the pews who have kind of grown cold-hearted in their relationship with Jesus and be able to hold them before God. Say, Father, do a work. In your great love, do a work. Do a work. I'd like to just close today and uh, do something. Do, I like sometimes doing symbolic acts that help us like realize the truth of something. And... Our Father welcomes you because of what Jesus has done as a high priest on your behalf. We've established that. But he not only cleansed you of your sin, he made you a fit dwelling place for his presence. And he invites you into his holy of holies, which is his glorious presence. And so what I'd like to do, if you're comfortable with it, I want, I want everybody, and we're a small enough group today, that people, I want you to just come up here, and I want you to walk through this, and I want you to think about this as, you know, let's say that this was the curtain, and I want you to come through here, and let, I want to see a picture of what it looks like in the spiritual realm for those who have been accepted by the blood of Christ. So you can get up, and you can come now. Maybe Jay will give us a little bit of musical ministry, and we're just going to kind of stand up here and just pray for a minute. Um, but you can you can actually come up. I'm like you like you're not. Don't worry. It's not it's not against the law or God's not going to strike you with lightning. Quite the opposite. It's a picture of who Christ has invited us to be. And you can just spread out up here. And we're going to do one more thing. Come 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 in and come up. Don't be shy. <laughs> 